Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Calling all operatives. From now to March 30th, MGM National Harbor invokes your skills to play Covert Cash, a spy-themed kiosk game series where classified missions, hidden rewards, and daily thrills await. Sign up for MGM Rewards to play and unlock up to $25,000 in hidden free play daily and entries into our grand escape car drawing on March 30th. Visit MGMNationalHarbor.com slash Covert Cash to begin your mission. Must be 21. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey y'all, it's Samson. Welcome to another episode of Not A Mix Company. Today, we're going to be talking to a really good friend of mine, Dr. David Melbranch, about sexual health and the black community and among black gay men. Stay tuned. Hey, y'all, we are here on Anatomy Mixed Company, and we just talk about everything uh, that we go through in our community. And, and sometimes we need answers to things and we're not so comfortable asking, or a lot of us live in anxiety because we wonder, are we the only ones? And I'm here to tell you, you're not. Um, today, we're going to be talking about sexual health and overall health in the Black LGBT community uh, with trans women and also the overall Black community. Our special guest here is one of my man crushes, okay? Because he cute. <laughs> and um, just someone who does outstanding work in our community. Um, he has over 20 years of experience uh, in internal medicine, and he's also the author of a book standing on his shoulders. He just been I'm doing all, it all. I'm please, all with it. Please, <laughs> please, y'all, welcome, Doctor David Melbranch. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, sir. I'm just. I'm really honored to be here. I may have told you this before, but I used to share your video about bottoming to oh, patients yeah. of mine and to other people. And you remember the video, how it started off, you were at like a Piccadilly or something and you had a scoop inside of chocolate pudding and you slammed <laughs> it down and you said, you don't wanna be like this. And then you you opened up the conversation to talk about it and you went into the store, you talked about enemas, you talked about douches, you talked about all this other stuff. And I loved the video so much. And I knew you before, um, we had met before at conferences and stuff, I'd seen your comedy before, but I thought that was like such a great video to talk about sexual health and also destigmatize it. Cause you know, you know, the kids, when it comes to, you know, anal sex and bottoming, you know, folks don't care about, you know, STIs and HIV and some other stuff. They care about if, if they're going to paint the walls or if, you know, so they're going to give somebody a dirty deal. That's how you get upset about it. So I think making sure people understand that that's a legitimate thing that's on a lot of people's minds before they bottom, before they have sex, is so important. So I just thank you for inviting me to this conversation, but you don't know how much it's been a two-way street, you know, oh. as far as you, 
you being able to educate me and also give me tools to help with my patients. Because um, I wouldn't have done a video like that that was so funny and tongue in cheek, but yet informative at the same time. So that was great. We're very socially conservative around sex. So how do you think we can start to expand the conversation to be really honest? Because until we do that, we're going to see the repeated patterns that we see in, in health with us. Yeah, it's funny that you uh, that you bring that up. I'm doing a couple. I'm going to be filming a uh, a short video that I'm doing for a conference, and they wanted me to speak about HIV treatment updates for um, men and boys of color. And first of all, I don't like the word of color, especially when you're talking about just black people. And I, I think it lumps us into one big equation. So we start there. But then also, I was like, why are you starting with HIV treatment updates for this conference? that's basically talking about different kinds of health inequities and stuff like that. So my focus is more on, let's talk about sexual health. Um, yes. and I literally just tweeted the other day, let's stop talking about sexual risk and not completely stop talking about it. It has to be part of the conversation at some point, but when we talk about sex, we should be talking about sexual health and we should be talking about pleasure. I think one of the things that people don't talk about enough is that sex, most of the reasons why we have sex is so we can get a nut. So we can have so we can so we can do what? We can get a nut. Yeah. Oh, I do it. I do it to pay my rent, but okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, you can do both. I mean, you can get a nut and pay your rent at the same time, but people forget and the CDC puts out these like five P's of a sexual history. And one of the P's they always forget to talk about is pleasure. And yeah. so I think if we start our conversations and start changing the conversations into how do we talk about sex as pleasure? and destigmatizing if someone's mode of pleasure or what they're attracted to or what they like to do is different than yours just talk about pleasure and how to maintain health then we can kind of open the doorways to talking about stis and hiv prevention and all that other stuff but if you just pound people over the head with well if you stick your dick in that hole without a without a condom if you let somebody nut up in you then you're going to get an sti so you're at risk you're at risk you're at risk Black gay men, we've been here, we're at risk for everything for the past 30 fucking years. So it's about time that we start talking about what's good in our lives, what's pleasurable in our lives, what we enjoy doing, and how we get off without any stigma or judgment. That's where we need to start. And we need to start with the church folks, because you know there's a lot of us in the church. So a lot of us in the church, and you know, you know everybody in the church, you know they're in there, you know they're in there doing it now, but we ain't, we ain't gonna ruffle no feathers today. I want to move forward to, to politics really quickly. What is the current administration doing, the Biden-Harris uh, administration doing to prioritize the health of Black people in the Black LGBT community? Yeah, I I don't know if there's a good answer for that, that a lot of uh, Black folks would be like, okay, you know, they're doing a lot of focused stuff right now, because I think he was handed such a shit show with the country as far as COVID, the economy, all these kind of other things weren't really doing well um, outside of the stock market. Stock market is doing great for the rich people, but for everybody else that's kind of working on the ground, it's um, it's been tough. So I think the focus has been on COVID-19 uh, and how to get this out. And one of the things that I will tell you that I've noticed is that a lot of the people that are working, say, for the CDC or for other federal agencies or for some of the state and local agencies, they've actually been pulled to work on COVID-19 from their HIV stuff. Like, for instance, uh, Dimitri wow. if you know Dr. Uh, Dr. Dimitri, who was in New York City for a long period of time, really made a, a great dent in uh, reducing the HIV rates among all, all gay men, not just black uh, gay men, but men of all races and ethnicities. 
and he's now the new, the new leader of the Department of HIV and AIDS Prevention at the CDC. And even wow. he to work on COVID stuff. So he can't even move forward right now. So I think when it comes to talking about what are we gonna be doing for black people, particularly around sexual health and for black LGBTQ plus folks, I think we're gonna to have to put that on hold for just a second and be okay with them moving forward once they get the COVID thing under control with vaccinations and these little pockets. And, and once we kind of get that situation together, then we'll be able to move forward. So I haven't seen any huge initiatives um, coming from the Biden administration uh, right this moment, but I think he's got a lot on his plate at this time, so. Woo, all right. Well, thank you for being very honest on that one. Um, the last question is, there are three people, the black people, the black community does not trust. We don't trust police. We don't trust hoes. And we just, Van Jones. <laughs> well, Van Jones is people who's no longer a part of the community. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, we done traded him out for Glenn Close. Okay. Right. <laughs> um, I saw her. I was like, she knows about the who? When I tell you she killed that, she absolutely killed that. Anyway. <laughs> she killed it. Um, so, you know, so we don't trust them. And, and there's a lot of medical mistrust. We don't trust doctors. I trust asking you this question because a large part of your career has been dedicated to dealing with racial inequities in the medical, you know, in, in, in the medical field and things like that and addressing concerns that we have as a black community. What do you think that the medical professionals can do to ease and eliminate the medical mistrust that exists? I mean, they can stop being so racist. That could be one part. That's a that's a first step. I, I think the second step is kind of looking inward. Um, people in the medical profession looking at themselves rather than asking people, why does the black community distrust us? Um, the other question, the flip side of that question is, what could we be doing better to earn the trust of black communities? And so they don't ask themselves that question. And I'll give you a quick example, because I think examples are always good. I had a, a mentee of mine, a, a very dear friend who was having uh, diarrhea like four or five days in a row and just going to the bathroom all the time. And he thought it was food poisoning. He was nauseated, vomiting, this, that, and the other. Went to a doctor, also living with HIV, um on his meds undetectable doing well went to see his own uh someone who was at his clinic but it wasn't his regular doctor but another hiv expert nonetheless and was telling the person what was going on and then told the physician i eat ass too and he had just been eating some ass a few days before which when you're eating ass you think about things like hepatitis a you think about uh, entamoeba, uh, which is um, an infectious agent that people can get. You think about um, a parasite called Giardia. All of these things can actually- G uh, Giardia? I got a cousin named Giardia. <laughs> I got a barber named Giardia, you're a mess. <laughs> so, you know, if you think of those other things, it's not your typical, oh, this is food poisoning. He had some bad Chinese food or fried rice or some uh, uncooked chicken. And now he's a little bit sick. So, you know, we'll usually do stool cultures. We'll do some other stuff. I'm not saying to give them antibiotics or antiparasitics at the time, but what he had to do, he had to fight like in the room to say, hey, do you think you want to get a stool culture? Because it's been about four to five days. Usually, if it's just a simple food poisoning, it lasts maybe three to five days at most. And then you have to start looking for other stuff. But the fact that he actually had to convince her 
or cajole her to say, hey, I need you to do your job and do these extra things is painful. That's why we don't distrust a lot of medical professionals, because they tend to do the bare minimum when it comes to us than when it comes to someone that looks like them who comes in with blonde hair and blue eyes. So we have every right to be distrustful of the medical profession. It's not something that we say, well, you know what, Tuskegee was in the past, and you know, that ended in 1972, so da 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 Racism still goes on in the medical profession today, and there's abundant literature to document that. So what we have to do is stop saying, oh, that was in the past, and instead the medical profession needs to shut up, sit down, be humble, and just say, okay, what are we doing wrong, or what has your experience been? And then how can I improve it? Be solutions-based. Don't get defensive. Well, I do that with all my patients. Well, I do that with this. Well, I'm not racist. Well, I have a black wife. Don't do any of that. Just shut up and listen and figure out what you can do with solutions and work with us as patients together. I think that needs to happen. And then also on the flip side, so the medical profession needs to do a lot, but also we need to empower ourselves with the knowledge and the information that when we do meet that racist or lazy or apathetic uh, medical professional that's sitting in front of us and will not do their job, that we have the knowledge and we can pull out an app with the CDC recommendations and say, oh, you're supposed to be testing me for this. Oh, you're supposed to be doing this. Oh, did you think about maybe doing this because of the symptoms that I have? If we call them to the task and let them know that we are just as intelligent and just as well-versed as they are, they'll all of a sudden perk up and be like, oh, I guess I need to actually do my full job now. And so I think the medical profession has a lot of work to do, but in the meantime, while they're getting their act together, we can actually do things to kind of push the agenda, which is exactly what my mentee did the other day. He kind of forced her to do that. Um, and so he's waiting on some of those cultural results right now. But it, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, we're put in this position where we have to tell people how to do their job, which shouldn't be the case. It shouldn't be the case. Wow. It, thank you for sharing that. And you're so honest. And your friend, I mean, who ate the bad ass. That's why it's just, you got to be careful when you get it. I buy my ass some Whole Foods, okay? <laughs> it's more expensive from there. It's just it's, like your whole paycheck. You got to pay for it. But, you know. <laughs> oh, my goodness. This has been so good. Uh, one last really important question. Where should Black people uh, and the black black gay men uh, look for resources, medical resources. There are a lot of different places. Um, you know, there are people that I trust on Twitter. I would say there's more individuals that I trust. Like I okay. trust um, the the black stock twins, um, Uni or Uche and uh, Oni Blackstock. They are both on Twitter, and they really do a lot of work with health equities. Um, and I follow them kind of religiously. There's a lot of other people as well. The CDC obviously gives good information. Um, it is one of those tough things where you're saying, well, there's blackdoctors.org, I believe is a website as well, but it depends particularly for black LGBTQ folks. And one of the things that I would wanna shout out is when we consider uh, health just in general, prioritizing mental health. And I think um, YOLO, Achille with his uh, BEAM organization is actually, uh, a really good example of something that's grown up for us that doesn't just focus on LGBTQ folks, it focuses on the Black community in general. So you look at BEAM, and I'm trying to remember what that exactly stands for. I think it's Black uh, Empowerment and Mental Health or something like that, but it's very focused 
on mental health. And YOLO, please forgive me if I forgot what the acronym is. <laughs> but it's B-E-A-M. And so if you check out YOLO Achille and, and check out the resources that they have, they're doing some phenomenal work in LA um, and just on, on the national level. So remember that it's not just our physical health, but it's also our emotional and mental health as well. Wow. Well, Dr. Mel Branch, thank you for taking the time to come on and talk to us at Not In A Mixed Company. And thank you for all the very brave and honest work that you do. And I look forward to seeing you in person again. You owe me $50. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. <laughs> I got you, Samson. I got you. But thank you so much for joining me today. All right. It's been a pleasure. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Calling all operatives. From now to March 30th, MGM National Harbor invokes your skills to play Covert Cash, a spy-themed kiosk game series where classified missions, hidden rewards, and daily thrills await. Sign up for MGM Rewards to play and unlock up to $25,000 in hidden free play daily and entries into our grand escape car drawing on March 30th. Visit MGMNationalHarbor.com slash Covert Cash to begin your mission. Must be 21. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER.